0: Welcome to another edition of the Aces Loaded Podcast. My name is Zach Bay Rudy. Thanks so much for being with us. Episode six of the Aces Loaded Podcast. We are getting deep into it and we have a great show lined up for you. My co-host this week is none other than, none other than Aces team photographer David Calvert. And we're going to be joined by Andy Young later in the show, Aces infielder and a member of the Diamondbacks 40 man roster. But we have David here right now. And how you doing, man?
1: I'm doing good. It's, uh, it's good to meet you, even if it's through these kind of weird times. Yeah. Um, I, hope, I hope to see you in Reno soon. I was, I was hoping we'd be well
0: acquainted by now in, in person, being in, in the middle of May. Um, but it's like, like we're not there yet. So how unnatural is it for you as a, as a baseball photographer? The only one the Aces have ever had, by the way. Uh, so well-seasoned well baseball photographer. How unnatural is it for you not to be at the ballpark right now?
1: Yeah, you know, that the first week in April around opening day was a little weird. Um, just kind of getting used to life, uh, life at home. Um, and it's not just baseball, too. You know, I miss soccer as well. I'm the 1860-18 mm-hmm. photographer. So really just being around the ballpark. Um, you know, I have a lot of friends that work with the organization. Um, you know, I miss the grounds crew. I miss the security guards. Um, but it's a it's a good group of people. And, uh, you know, when it's back, it'll be great. Yeah,
0: I don't think a lot of people understand that there's a certain rhythm to just being at the ballpark when, when you work in, in the game. And it's just, you know, the way you come in every day and the people you see every day, and these are things you take for granted. And I think things that, that we're all missing and even talking to some of the players, I mean, they have people at the ballpark outside of the the actual guys on the field that they're used to interacting with and, and to not have that. I think that's been what's been surprisingly tough for me is to not be able to interact with those people, like people like you and, the front office people on the periphery that that you just get used to seeing every day right
1: yeah. You know, when the guys talk about it after their career's over and they ask them what they miss, they always talk about like, you know, they miss the clubhouse and it's kind of the same for anyone who works at the team. Um, you you miss the people, you miss spending time at the park. Um, for me, I miss an empty stadium. Like one of my favorite things, and you know, I don't want to dwell too much on the things that we're not experiencing, but one of the beautiful things about going to the ballpark as a photographer, being someone who works for the team is you get to go there early and you get to see you know the stadium when they're watering the grass and it's empty before the guys are even out there or when they're rolling out the 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 net for batting practice. Um, there's just something special about that. I mean, they, they talk about baseballs as these sort of cathedrals, modern day cathedrals, so, and that's what it feels like. It's it's a spiritual thing. It's beautiful.
0: I could totally vibe with that. And sp- and it's funny you say cathedrals because that's like that's usually my Sunday routine is to go early when you know Sunday's a bit of a different day at the ballpark. They'll have chapel or they'll have guys arriving a little bit later um and and as a as the broadcaster just like yourself as a photographer you can kind of go out and do your own thing and experience the ballpark in a more quiet setting or go watch a a bullpen and just hear sounds that you wouldn't normally hear uh, on on the everyday basis during the week so i could i could totally get behind that sentiment totally
1: well you know one of the things that's cool is um after 11 years, I've got a bit of a special parking spot at the ballpark. I hang out in the back with the grounds crew. So I drive in from like along the Truckee River between the train tracks. There's a little gate back there and um, it's just a little dirt lot. They store stuff back there, but it means that every time that I walk on or to the, the, the press box, I walk through center field. Like I walk on the grass and it's, I don't know. There's something cool about like just walking out of that uh, center field fence and and seeing the the field in front of you and seeing downtown Reno and the skyline and all of that, and getting to to step on the grass because we got, we got good we have good turf.
0: Yeah, you're tugging at my heart right now. By the way, with these <laughs> descriptions, I'm I'm really missing it. Um, so you've been with the Aces since their inception, right? How how did you become the guy?
1: Yeah. So it started in uh, 2008, actually, before they were the Aces. Back when it was just sort of um, uh, they were building the ballpark. Um, I actually had an assignment for the New York Times um, business section. Um, so I'm a freelance photographer in town. I have a background in photojournalism, so I do a lot of things like that. And uh, the story was on the uh, one of the then uh, owners partners, uh, Stuart Katzoff. Um, he's a New Yorker. His family's from New York, and uh, the you know the hometown paper was doing a feature on. Uh, this, this guy who made good. And so I met him at the ballpark and it was under construction and like the dugouts had just sort of been dug. And I took uh, some portraits of Stuart and mentioned afterwards, I was like, you know, I would really like to do more with you guys. And um, fast forward a few months and they were looking for a team photographer and Stuart was in a meeting. He was like, hey, what about that one kid? And that just kind of led to it. Um, I, I heard a, a rumor that, um, his mom framed the photo or framed the, the front page of the business section and put it in uh, his office. So he was looking at the picture and she liked it. And, you know, if mom likes your photography, then you're probably going to get a good shot at it. And I've been the team photographer ever since.
0: That's awesome. It's, it's funny how we all kind of get into these spots where we are now, because there are a lot of people that that want to aspire to do what you do and, and to photograph baseball, which is something I want to get into right now. And it's the the art of baseball photography. I've worked with and I've observed a bunch of, of photographers over the years. I think Megan Camino is a mutual friend. She photographs the stocks and ports and, and does a great job. And, and her base was kind of my, my office in the press box. So I'd see her set up and change lenses and all that and, and kind of contemplate how she was gonna shoot. Without getting too much into the hardware as far as the cameras and lenses, take us through some of the elements that you're looking for when, when you're shooting baseball.
1: Well, you know, to start with, I'm really inspired by the work that um, there's such a long history in the game. Um, and so you have these famous photographers from the, the early days in the 20s, um, Charles Conlon, um, who kind of created this visual language of how we look at baseball. And then you progress through the Neil Leifer photos in the 50s and 60s for Sports Illustrated. Um, and these are all things that I encourage people to like, you know, spend some time and Google this stuff. And then there's a lot of really great modern day photographers who, um, uh, Brad Brad Mangin in the Bay Area is a freelance photographer for Sports Illustrated and Major, major League Baseball Photos. and He's someone who was a big influence on me. And then uh, you got the guys, the team photographers in Colorado and Boston. And so you start to, to see all of this work that's out there and you realize that, you know, there's some... Uh, some poetry to to baseball photography. It's really about light and angles, and the game is is slow. Um, you know, there's a lot of time between action, but when it's when it's moving, it's moving fast, and you have to know where to be, um, and you have to know where to look and to anticipate those things. And so, um, you know, I started by looking at a lot of photographers, and that's actually something that I recommend to my students when I'm um, teaching up at the university is uh, this idea of stealing like an artist. Um, so for me, you know, my my baseball. Um, my understanding of baseball and the visuals of baseball comes from the past, um, just in a lot of ways, like, you know, probably does for a lot of the players, you know, you're learning from a coach who may have played 20 years ago, who learn from a coach who may have played 20 years ago, and it just sort of gets passed down generationally. Um, when I'm photographing a specific game, I'm always thinking about the game as a complete story. So even if it's, you know, game... <sighs> 47 randomly in the middle of the season and I've photographed all of these guys a bunch of times and there's really nothing new. There's always something new. Mm -hmm. Um, There's always something that is, you know, the light is different that day. Um, Maybe we've never played a game on uh, March 13th at, uh, 105, maybe all of our March 13th games have all been 705 games. So the light's going to look different on that one day and that's special, or maybe it's going to rain and I'm going to make cool pictures of the rain that day. And then, you know, you transition into the game and you're trying to catch those moments that tell the story of the game. So it's things like the fans, the pitcher, starting pitcher, the, um, key offensive plays, just anything that creates the sort of atmosphere um, and sense of place that helps, uh, helps you with that narrative.
0: Um, yeah. when, when getting into so there, there's a lot to shoot right you could shoot a wide shot of the stadium you could shoot like you were talking about the rain or the the sunset the baseball sky but when talking about actually shooting something on the field is there are there keys that you're looking for to get that shot just right is there something in the framing is there something in something else that I'm, I'm not thinking of that 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 makes that perfect shot on the field for you
1: yeah, so I'm always looking at light and background, um, quality of light, quantity of light. Um, directional lighting is really key with baseball. You know, as the sun sets, it kind of peeks through that uh, the concourse and those little gaps in the, um, the stadium. And it creates interesting shadows. Um, that's a big thing in baseball. You know, you think about watching postseason baseball and you've got those pitchers that are in the shadows and the batters in the light. And it's, it's you know, murder for the batters to try and pick up the ball. But it, it turns out to be really cool photos because there's all of this dramatic lighting. Um, So those sorts of things and then clean backgrounds or interesting backgrounds. Um, One of the things, you know, having done this as long as I have, I remember when the stadium didn't have any advertising in the outfield and um, you know, probably not the smartest business decision at the time, but man, did it look beautiful. And, you know, even now, it's one of the things that we've uh, been pretty good at is making sure that we're trying to um, respect the playing field and make it visually interesting to look at and, um, you know, I like to work that video ribbon that we have in the scoreboard that's on the, our sort of our, our big wall and left field, work that into pictures. Um, sometimes I'll go up on the roof and shoot down. I'm looking at different angles. Sometimes I photograph from the stands, uh, anything that just sort of, uh, just makes it easier to focus on, uh, the play or the, the, my intention.
0: So I just to kind of drop this in, I've gotten, and I, I wish I could remember the specific Twitter handle or handles that have these photos, but have you, have you checked out some of the old photos that they've gotten to be in color, like photos of the polo grounds in New York and uh, photos of Ebbets Field, and these were like black and whites, and now they've been made into color. Have you, have you gone back, and, and you seem to be a baseball history guy, but have you been able to go, able to go back and see some of those and, and to draw any kind of uh, inspiration baseball-wise from those old photos?
1: Oh yeah, especially the big wide photos. That creating that sense of place, like how you photograph the stadium. Um, In the early '50s, uh, Ebbets Field, um, great advertisements out there, just a huge wall of ads. I mean, it looked like minor league baseball, uh, you know, your classic double A stadium, but it's it's Brooklyn and it's this great atmosphere. But one of the things that's really cool is in right field there was a giant. I'm probably thinking maybe. 80 feet by 30 feet uh, Lord Calvert whiskey advertisement. So I'm, I'm very familiar <laughs> with it. Um, I don't know if people can see behind me, but this is the, uh, I have a large collection of Calvert uh, whiskey uh, memorabilia, um, probably the Ooh, largest really? collection in, in Nevada. Yeah, there's some stuff back there um, over my shoulder. Oh yeah, there it is. Uh, back there, there's a, a mirror with Wilt Chamberlain holding up a Calvert whiskey bottle um so yeah i i know the old stadiums because i go and i look at them for those calvert whiskey signs um and then you know what's also cool is and it's another one of those twitter accounts that i don't remember the name of but there's been a lot of uh video that's come out from those old parks where Mm -hmm. it's just little snippets um you know kind of like the stuff you would see in the ken burns documentary or um uh some of the other hbo stuff um it's just awesome to see those stadiums and to see the patterns in the grass and you know it's it's cool to look through
0: What's the key to capturing a genuine moment, be it a celebration, a disappointment? Because, you know, you can point and shoot your camera, but I imagine there's, there's a lot more that goes into it. There has to be a sense of awareness and anticipation on your part and a, and a sense of, hey, I want this to, to be what it is genuinely and not get in the way. What's the key to capturing a walk-off or a tough moment for a player in your mind?
1: Yeah, so a lot of situational awareness, understanding where we are in the game and what's happening and is there a potential play at the plate? Is this a double play situation? Is this an important strikeout? Um, you know, might maybe you get a little reaction out of the pitcher. You don't see that as much in, in minor league baseball, especially, you know, the doldrums of summer, but knowing when you might see something is, is important and being able to focus on that stuff. And then, you know, walk-offs are always interesting because, you um, one of the things that you're looking for in sports photography, three things you're looking for in sports photography, action, reaction, and emotion. And the idea is that you can kind of combine all those elements You maybe create this Venn diagram, perfect picture, um, with potential for a walk-off or any kind of big celebration. Um, you need to kind of come up with your plan. So you don't have time to be switching back and forth between cameras and lenses. You got to choose like, all right, I'm shooting this one wide, or I'm using my telephoto lens. And I'm I'm going to stand back and this is where I want to be. And so sometimes I'm talking to the security guard saying like, Hey, I'm going to stand right here. So when everybody rushes, I need you to go like either immediately or wait a second. Cause I need to get this photo of the guy coming around third as he's about to jump into the dog pile at home. So it's just a lot of planning that goes into that sort of stuff. And then also, um, you know, I, I think this happens more when I'm using like a wide angle lens or when I'm covering other things, but, I'm paying attention to the background and sort of the, the X-axis and the Y-axis and I'm the Z-axis and I'm trying to move all of these things around um, to create this interesting composition. And intuitively, I'm just sort of feeling the moment. So I, I kind of know that something is happening as I'm looking through the viewfinder, but, you know, realistically, if you make that great photo, you didn't see it happen because that's when the shutter went off. Mm-hmm. If you saw it through the viewfinder, you missed it. So it is a lot of intuition.
0: It's so amazing. I love no matter the profession, uh, talking to people like yourself and, and who have done it for a long time, become experts at it. And like anything else, like there's more to it than meets the eye. And I, I think people can can look at you know, photographers and, and sports photographers especially and say, well, they're sitting there and pointing and shooting and watching this game and they're going to capture something. But there's so much that goes into it that I appreciate uh, what you and so many other photographers are able to do and, and not only to to manipulate the moment, but let it be and capture it honestly which is really, really a phenomenal art. Uh, you do yeah, a great I think, job. I love your photos.
1: I think one thing that you'll notice um, when you're at the ballpark, and I, and I know our season ticket holders see it because I've become friends with a lot of them, I move around a lot. Like I'll start and maybe do an inning from the third base well, and then I'll go behind the plate, and then I'll do an inning from the third base well, and then maybe I'll go up on the roof or just depending on the day and the light. And a lot of times I'm just chasing the light as it moves across mm-hmm. the field. But I get bored if I stay in one place too long, and the photos start to look the same over and over again. So you're just always kind of looking ahead to see, you know, who's up next inning, where are we at in the game, you know, is this the third time through the rotation or third third time through the order? Because if it is, we're probably going to see some 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 action. It's the PCL. There's going to be some yep. hits. So paying attention to all that stuff.
0: All right, Dave. We're coming down the home stretch here in the intro. But before yeah. I let you go uh, until the outro, uh, I want to to pick your brain on your top five favorite photographs that you've taken for the aces just kind of off the top of your head and and you don't have to be super specific but you can just kind of touch on them and uh and kind of frame them for us
1: yeah so since uh i know we've got some people watching this and some people listening to it i'm actually going to do a quick little uh sharing of the screen here on zoom um, just like i'm doing a class with my students um so every year i put together a kind of best of the season um and this is the 2019 season um I'm just going to quickly scroll. Here's a great one. Um, is this popping up here for you, Zach?
0: Yeah. It's the, uh, the bridal party.
1: Yeah. So baseball is especially minor league baseball, just kind of an interesting place to hang out. Um, I saw these ladies in uh, right field. Um, they were having a good time watching the game, um, drinking some beers, and I just kind of kept that in the back of my head. I'm like, I know that they're gonna walk around the stadium at some point, they've gotta leave. So I introduced myself while I was out there and I took a couple of pictures of them watching the game with the, um, the skyline in the background. And that was pretty cool. But um, I wanted something of them just sort of interacting with the ballpark. Um, and so this is one of my favorite photos from last season, just because it's one of those things that shows sort of the like kind of the fun, quirky piece of minor league baseball. And it's these, this bridal party. There's three women in the front and they're walking by the concession stands uh, over by the hot dog uh, sausage cart. And they're looking out into the field, and I'm pretty sure someone in the stands gave them like a "Hey, what's up?" or maybe even a cat call, and they're laughing and smiling at them, and it's just a fun moment. And that was one where you know I was looking for this kind of all game in the back of my mind. I'm just sort of seeing like where are they at on the field, and can I make a cool picture? Um, let's go back to the gallery. Um, here's a photo from uh, one of your recent guests on the podcast. This is John Duplantier. Did I pronounce his name correctly?
0: Duplantier.
1: Duplantier. All right. So um, this is another one of those examples of just, I mean, there's nothing special about this photo from an action standpoint. Um, This is a starting pitcher uh, at the beginning of a game. It's not even that great a light at this point in the season, but that giant Archie uh, inflatable that's in the background. Framed so well. so, So this was up for maybe two games with it in this position where you could actually see the face. And then they eventually moved it to the side. So what you have is this sort of, interesting composition between our ace pitcher and the like one of the more iconic things in aces baseball is this archie inflatable bounce house Um, and it kind of reminds me of like san francisco and the coke bottle and the big glove and um, nashville has the big guitar Mm -hmm. and so for a little while this was our thing and I made pictures of John and I made pictures of Joey Crable and that was about it because they moved it to the side and put it in a slightly better location. And but for me, this happened once and it was really awesome. And you know, I, I know you asked me for my favorite all time ACES photos. I'm just gonna show you some recent yeah, stuff. Yeah. This is this is a cool one for me because it'll never happen again. Like this is one of those things where It's fleeting, and that's sort of the thing I love about baseball and what I love about photography is this idea that you can't really go back. It just sort of happened, and Mm -hmm. that was it. The moment's over. That's awesome. Let's jump back here. Um, Let's go to the next page. If anyone's interested in looking at these, um, they're on my Twitter account, uh, Calvert Photo, and I think we've shared them enough times that you've probably seen a bunch of them. So here's a cool black and white photo. Um, this is on one of our little league days. This is some kids walking around the field during the pregame parade, which is like the most minor league baseball thing. It's up there with a dog parade. I prefer the dog parade, but I like, I
0: love the the dog parade.
1: Yeah. Um, and one of the things that's I always try to find in these situations. So this is this group of, you know, three kids. And I think there's a little brother down there and a mom, um, But most of the time the teams are walking around and they're wearing like Oakland A's gear or uh, uh, St. Louis Cardinals gear, which doesn't do a a lot for us from a a marketing and branding standpoint. So I'm always looking for that one team and this was the last team to go and they were the Aces and I just hung with them the whole time. And there, you know, you can see the one kid's kind of jostling to get in the photo and one kid's (laughs) not paying attention. and It's just, it's a fun photo and it feels very minor league baseball. Yeah, it's, it's very cool and then uh, let's jump ahead here so here's one of my all-time favorite aces um shipley um i'm i'm biased because he's a nevada guy and i'm a nevada guy and um, shipley spent a lot of time with us Uh, he's our all-time wins leader um so i got to know him pretty well and this is one of his um uh june starts and this is an example of like this light looked like this for three pitches. And I don't even have him pitching because I want that silhouette of his, uh, you know, you can see his beard, you can see his mm-hmm. nose, the hat, the glove. Um, just that interesting, pretty baseball light with that nice dark background and a pretty good crowd. And um, One of my favorite players uh, to, to play for the Aces. And then let's jump ahead. Um,
0: I think we got one more in us. Yeah. Or we got to go to break. Boy, these are these are great. And if you're if you're listening, uh you have to check out the video of this pod to see these photographs because they're awesome. And then we'll we'll give you uh David's uh info and stuff so you can go check these out on your own.
1: So here's your uh from another uh guest from the last podcast, uh Kevin Crone, our uh, big hitting first baseman. Um this is from uh, Camp Lots of fun day, which is one of my favorite things that happens at the ballpark. Um it's a summer camp for um uh developmentally um challenged challenged um kids and adults um it's really all ages which is one of the things that I think is cool about it you've got some some young teenagers but then you also have some people in their 30s and 40s and they come out to the ballpark every year and they you know get to to play some ball on the field for about an hour and the players are out there with them and um I believe uh that's Blake Swihart Throwing a ball to him, uh, yeah. former Red Sox, current Texas Ranger, and then you got Crone there, who is about to run the bases with this kid after he hits the ball. Um, and it's one of the coolest things that happens at the ballpark. And it's honestly, you know, if if something, it's one of the things I would miss the most if we didn't have baseball um, this season is seeing the guys interact with these these fans and seeing how much it means to um, the camp, lots of fun participants. Uh, to be there and to interact with the players and you know their parents sit in the stands and it's just it's a really beautiful emotional day Um, and so for me this is a photo that's really tied to memory um, as much as anything and that's one of the things that great photography does is it sort of uh, um, you know it it triggers those emotions and it triggers those memories.
0: That's phenomenal man I can't wait to check out this this entire catalog and uh, and and the outro we'll will have you give the uh, the place where fans can go and check out your work uh, on their own and, and explore all these photos because it, it's a great conduit to what we're missing right now. Just seeing you pull that up, uh, really kind of evoked all that baseball emotion in me. Uh, thanks, Matt. Thank you for delving into that for us and, and the, uh, uh, the specifics and the elements of how you photograph baseball. It's fascinating to me. And uh, we'll, we'll catch up with you in the outro, okay?
1: That's awesome. Appreciate it. Thank
0: you. You got it, man. David Calvert, we'll take a break, come back, and we'll hear from Aces infielder Andy Young after this on the Aces Loaded Podcast. Celebrate the history of our national pastime at the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum in Cooperstown. See priceless treasures that will bring your baseball memories to life. Find stories that will inspire and surprise. Cooperstown is where you, your family, and your friends can relive baseball's greatest moments in honor of the all-time greats of the game. See all that the Hall of Fame and Museum has to offer and plan your family visit today at
2: BaseballHall.org.
1: Clips pale face, breathing
2: in snowflakes, burnt lungs.
1: We are back on
0: the Aces Loaded podcast and our baseball interview this week is none other than, none other than Aces infielder and Andy Young. 68 games with the Aces last season. Uh, infielder, outfielder, utility. We'll talk about where you're going to fit in as far as defensively here coming up in a little bit, but uh, the number 20 prospect named this year by Baseball America and the diamondback system coming into the season. Uh, so how you doing, man? It's uh, obviously been kind of an eventful offseason for you in, in a number of different ways, but are you hanging in there?
2: Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, I think baseball players are pretty resilient in the fact that uh, you can take what happens and, and uh, kind of roll with it. That's kind of the sport we play, but yeah, I'm hanging in here. I'm just trying to stay ready, you know, I'm doing everything I can. Still in Arizona, still working out with the team kind of <laughs> as much as we can, but um just yeah, it's it's all right, you know, for the circumstances.
0: Talk talk about an eventful offseason. Obviously, this is happening right now with the COVID stuff and 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 play being suspended, but as I mentioned, you were added to the 40-man roster in November obviously it's a big step for a minor leaguer to be added to the 40 man how exciting was it for you to hear that news and, and were you expecting it
2: um I I was extremely excited and um I thought I was expecting it because they told me at the end of the year hey we're gonna add you in. and um all this stuff they I think that they kind of try to give you a good framework going into the off season. but then when it came down to it the deadline I think it was like it I was like six or seven, and I didn't get a call until like five. So I I was sweating a little bit there at the end, but uh, I was extremely excited when it actually happened, you know.
0: You and I were talking a little bit before we actually came on, and and there are a couple of interesting ways to look at this. And and the way I was looking at it was, man, it's got to be tough for you to finally be on the 40-man and then to not have a season up until this point. The the other glass-half-full kind of perspective is that Man, how fortunate you are to be on the 40 man and, and be part of that major league roster and not be on the minor league roster with the uncertainties right now. Can you kind of take us into your, your mindset as it pertains to that?
2: Yeah, so I, I've been looking at it. Um, I've, tried, I've been trying to be optimistic. And I've, I mean, I was in double A, I was in triple A, and um, I've never played a game in the big league. So a majority of my friends in baseball are, are minor league players. So when I talk to them and I see what they're going through, it's it's pretty easy to to be to be happy with my situation. Not happy, but much less frustrated than I could be, because they're they're not gonna get a season and they'll likely not play. So they're looking at, at jobs that they haven't had to look at. So I think that if you look at it that way, I'm pretty lucky to be under the major league baseball umbrella.
0: You also have a, had a, a ton of momentum, I would, I would say, coming into camp in, in 2020 based on your performance last year and, and even going back to when you were drafted, which I want to get into. You've been a consistent performer. Um, how hard is it from, from the standpoint of now you have to have this break? You've, you've been you know, off for a while. I've, I'm assuming you're doing whatever you can to stay in shape and, and to stay uh, you know, dialed in. But, but how tough is it to just have to shut it down right now?
2: Um, it's really hard because everyone was ready. I mean, we were I mean, I was seeing the ball well. I think a lot of hitters were the the defense was coming, everything was was going. I was pretty certain I was going to go to Reno, and then um, I'm very comfortable there. I liked it there. I mean, the team we like it was just a good feeling. everyone kind of knew what was going on, especially my second year at the organization. so it it was definitely tough to shut it down, but now I'm just looking at it as like the off season, you know, so everything that I did this off season to get myself ready for the spring and this season, I'm going to go back to and continue to do. And I'm just kind of looking at it as an opportunity to get better when a lot of people uh, maybe can look at it as uh, I was ready and now I'm not. It's I can just hopefully I'm flipping it back to offseason work. Let's get back to whenever spring training is because it, it doesn't really matter. You know, I can just go back to the offseason program and get it going.
0: I was going to say, did you get a sense of in camp where you'd be assigned? A, a, you just said Reno. I was assuming Reno too, just based on, on the history. But did you get that sense before everything got shut down?
2: Um, yeah. I think so. I was actually optioned, I think like the day before everything was shut down. So I was, I was pretty certain I was going to go to, to Reno.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That pretty, pretty much seals the deal. Uh, yeah. By the way, what are, what are you doing to stay in shape right now? What are you doing to stay? I mean to stay ready to hit like staying in shape is one thing and then and then staying on top of what it takes to be a consistent hitter is another thing. What are you doing for both of those?
2: Yeah so fortunately um, baseball players are really close-knit and uh, I've been fortunate to meet a bunch of guys in the Arizona area now because it's my second year. I'm close with a lot of guys in the Dimebacks organization and um, one of my friends actually owns a a hitting facility, so we've been going in there with a bunch of guys and, and hitting and kind of doing the same things I would be doing if it, if it was in season, doing my routine, doing my machine work and stuff like that, so the swing feels good. I'm doing everything I would be doing, so that's that's really nice, you know, and it's, it's fortunate, too, because I feel like a lot of people are really struggling to find spots.
0: Yeah, it's it's amazing the guys that I've talked to. Some, like we talked to uh, to John Duplantier and to, to Kevin Crone last week, and they've been able to kind of get their their work in, But I've talked to some guys that have. it's been a struggle just to find facilities, and that's big time that that you have that hitting facility you could go to.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: Uh, Let's talk about your path here for a little bit. 37th round out of Indiana State, the Cardinals drafted you. Uh, You, of course, were part of the the Paul Goldschmidt trade. Goldschmidt goes to St. Louis, and you, along with Carson Kelly and Luke Weaver, are sent to the D-backs. This happened in the offseason before 2019. First of all, going to the trade, what were your thoughts right when that trade happened?
2: Oh man, that's that's kind of a crazy story. If you've never heard it, I was I was sitting out in, in a actually in a deer stand in North Dakota. The off season was was happening, and um, I had a call. A deer from a stand. Number. Yeah, deer stand. I was bow hunting. And okay. I, and it was snowing, and I got a call from a number I I didn't have, and by the time I got to my phone, I couldn't even I couldn't get to it, and I was like, Ah, it's it's all right. I'll I'll catch him later. And then I got tax news. This is Mike Gersh, which is the GM of the Cardinals. And I was like, well, I don't talk to being a double A player. I don't talk to Mike Gersh that often. So I should probably take this. So I started walking back to my, to my truck. And, um, by this time I was starting to get taxed and my agent called me "So you're, you're getting traded and all this stuff. So I was like, man, this is, this is kind of crazy. And I finally get back to my truck and I and I, I call him back and he's like, we're not going to tell you who it's for, but your trade to Arizona, thank you for everything and everything. So it's kind of cool. I mean, obviously, I didn't know who it was for right away. And then when later on the Goldschmidt um, piece came out, then it was like, wow, it's all over ESPN. And and I mean, just being connected to his name is pretty cool because mm-hmm. he's, I mean, not only a great baseball player, I mean, he really affects the community in a great way. So that was that was awesome. But then another funny part of that story is, So I'm getting all these texts when it comes out that it's Goldsmith. And then my buddy I was hunting with, he called me and he's like, Hey man, I just, I just shot a buck. And I was like, Oh wow. So it's like, he's like, I need help finding it. And I'm talking to, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to do interviews with like, you know, Sirius XM and all these people are calling me and they're like, Hey, what are you thinking? And it's like, I'm doing this as I'm driving my truck through a field as it's snowing in the pitch dark. Looking for my oh, friend yeah. in this deer, so it was just a wild night, but kind of a cool story.
0: That's insane. That is a really cool story. Yeah. Um, you know, I've talked to a lot of guys that have been traded, and, and guys that have been traded for for high level major leaguers, and and there are a couple of different ways to look at being traded. I think the positive way you talk about looking at things glass half full is that, hey, I I I was a piece and a big piece of a, of a trade involving a perennial all star and Paul Goldschmidt. How did it make you feel that? you were traded for that caliber of a player and obviously valued by the diamondbacks. They wanted to get you.
2: Yeah. I thought, I mean, I've, I've always tried to pin a, a half, uh, a glass half full guy. So I, you know, I, being connected to his name was awesome. Being wanted by the diamondbacks was awesome. Um, I saw a lot of opportunities in the organization so immediately when I was traded, I switched everything to the, the, the opportunity and being connected to his name. So, I mean, that was just how I've been looking at it from day one. So it's, it's cool, you know.
0: The, the other crazy part of this is, I mean, going back to where you were drafted, 37th round out of Indiana State. I mean, you, you were a guy that that fell pretty far in the draft, uh, but you burst onto the scene right after you got drafted. He had 284 in 58 games in the Midwest League with Peoria. H- how much did it help you mentally to have that type of success
2: right out of the gate um a lot you know and the year before that when i went i actually started in the gcl so being a, a senior sign that starts in the gcl the bottom of the barrel is is pretty rare so i was with some younger kids so that was pretty eye-opening to kind of see how they they valued me right away and then i played i played pretty well there and then i got to go to state college with which, with tommy Edmond and kind of that that core group of guys in my draft class so then it's like all right i'm I'm getting closer, you know, I'm getting closer. And then um, we actually won the New York Penn League and I was in the middle of the lineup and I kind of felt like, I felt like I belonged there. So the year after when they sent me to Peoria with that same group, then I was like, all right, we're, we're back on track. The Where you got drafted doesn't matter. You're with these kids that are first, second, third rounders from your year and the year behind you. So it's like, they value you enough to give you these at bats. So once I went to Peoria that year, I kind of figured that the round didn't matter anymore because they're giving me at bats, you know. So that's kind of how I looked at that.
0: Is there a little bit of a chip on your shoulder coming out of college?
2: Oh, yeah, I think so. I think everyone has one, you know. I think it's it started way before I was drafted, but I think it was just kind of a – you get to a level and you, you see what you can do and you see how the players line up and you're like, all right, I, I can do this. You know, it's, it doesn't matter where you're from, being from – North Dakota, or being a 37th-round pick, you just get there and you're like, all right, I, I think we can play with these kids. And then you just kind of keep that from from Juco to Division One to rookie to, to A, you know, and I don't think it changes that much.
0: By the way, being from North Dakota, which is kind of obscure in terms of the, the baseball hotspots, is, is there somebody that yeah. you looked up to? I mean, I think Travis Hafner comes to, comes to my mind as a prominent yeah. player from North Dakota. Is he the one or are there other players from North Dakota that you kind of uh, jived with growing up?
2: Um, he definitely was one of them, but I think the biggest one for me was probably Darren Erstad. Um, Good one. Yeah, so my dad is from Jamestown, which is the same town Darren's from, and he actually coached him. My dad coached Darren in high school, so we had kind of a cool oh, connection. Wow. there. And we'd come down to Tempe every year and watch him. So he was—I mean, that was just awesome. I wanted to come down to Arizona. I wanted to play for the Angels. I wanted to do all that stuff, you know, because I was—I was a younger kid, and um, yeah. So he was—he was probably one of the top guys for me.
0: Totally. That's a, that's a great poll right there. Yeah. Um, so, so you follow up your 2017 and in 2018, you proved 2017 was not a fluke. 12 home runs in Palm Beach, and you hit 276. And I'm very familiar with the Florida State League. It's where I started my career. And that is a very pitcher friendly league. I mean, that's not, yeah. that's the furthest thing from the PCL, but you hit 12 home runs, the 276 average. You get promoted uh, to Springfield, you hit 319 with, with AA Springfield what was your key to staying consistent while transitioning from, from college to the pros and, and having that kind of a sense that you did? Cause it's, it's not easy. I've seen guys go up and down.
2: Yeah. So I think that, um, I think I'm a much, I think the the level of play between college and double A is, is a, obviously a massive jump. So I think that I, I did a good job of learning how to hit because in college I was just swinging almost kind of like the, the throwing and pitching argument. I think in college, I was just swinging and it worked well enough. But at some point, if you don't change in baseball and adapt to what's going on, I think that you'll really struggle. So I had a few coaches that really helped me along the way and kind of taught me the, the sequencing and the biomechanics of, of hitting, which I, I have never heard of before professional baseball. So I, I would think that um, I was consistent in numbers, but I got a lot better with the level of play, if that makes sense. Like, I, I learned so much about the, the actual art of hitting.
0: Mm-hmm. I was going to say, how were you able to maintain your being true to yourself as a hitter and the hitter that you were, and, and at the same time absorb the new knowledge that they're giving you? Because that can also be a very delicate, yeah. delicate thing to handle.
2: Yeah. Um, again, it goes back to coaches. I had So Donnie is my hitting coach in, um, in low A, and he's now, uh, I think he's the big league hitting coach of the Giants now. But he flew through the system and he knew things that I've never even heard of. And he got in on the analytics and he did such a good job of of teaching different things to different people. Because sometimes when people have a cookie cutter approach to teaching hitting, it can work with some people and not work with other people. And I think that that's when you can get in trouble. And that also makes hitters very stubborn and unwilling to learn things mm-hmm. because it didn't work. But he kind of, he could look at swings and tell them what to do kind of what would work for them, and then say it in a way that works in, in the hitter's mind, which is, is really unique and cool. So I think that a lot of the credit goes to my coaches, you know.
0: What was it like jumping from organization to organization, from the Cardinals to the Diamondbacks, and, and was there a big shift and adjustment that you had to make going from one organization to another? Because organizations can have different philosophies as they pertain to hitting or pitching or what have you.
2: What was the transition like for you? Um, I really liked both organizations. I think that they're pretty different, but I, I really like the Cardinals. Um, I love the Diamondbacks. Um, the Diamondbacks are probably a little more analytical than the Cardinals were. And that also could be, um, I was in lower levels with the Cardinals and I don't know if that's how the Diamondbacks run their lower lower levels, but in the upper levels with the Diamondbacks, they're a little more analytical. So I don't know if it's really the difference in organizations or just difference in in levels I was in but I kind of liked getting to the Diamondbacks and and having heat maps and all that stuff readily available because I I like to try to dissect that stuff you know
0: sure so let's talk a little bit about the Diamondbacks so last year your first season with the D-backs you started Jackson you come to Reno uh 21 homers in 68 games in in Reno which is outstanding obviously Uh, There also comes with it the stigma of that happening at at greater Nevada field and in the PCL with the the ball being the way it is and and the altitude being what it is. Um, I I asked this to Kevin Crone last week and I'll ask you, is is there a mind game you have to play with yourself in terms of the approach when you hit in the PCL? Because there is a tendency, I think, when you get into these ballparks as a hitter, you hit it high and let it fly and you know you're going to hit the home runs, but consistency is also pretty big. Is there – a a mind game you play with yourself to keep that level of consistency while still getting the power in there?
2: Um, I don't think it's a mind game. I think that I'm, I'm conscious of of the angles I'm setting and uh, there are definitely some angles I'll set with my swing at greater Nevada field that I, I wouldn't set in, in the Florida state league, you mm-hmm. know, because you, you saw how the ball flies there and, and it probably wouldn't work. But um, I think, you don't change. Like you, you can't really change what you're good at. You can't change what got you there. So I think that you might change a few things. I mean, it's the same thing as if the wind's blowing 100 miles per hour in. you know, you, you have to kind of switch your mindset or a pitcher throwing away. But none of that really changes what you do, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of it's kind of both, you know, don't get too far away from what got you there, but also be smart enough to make an adjustment of, of the spot you're at.
0: Can you kind of expand on the on the angle of your swing, what you were talking about, and take us a little deeper into that? Because that's fascinating to me.
2: Yeah, so I just think that um, – so, like, let's say the Florida State League, for, for example, I probably if, – if we looked at the analytics, my swing would be a little flatter because – a lot of those balls. We played at Roger Dean. I don't know if you're familiar. That's that's
0: the ballpark that I grew up. uh, I I had my first season working in baseball, Roger Dean with the Jupiter Hammerheads and Palm Beach Cardinals. I'm
2: very familiar with it. Yeah. So you know that the ball does not want to go out there. I mean, you you have to absolutely get it. So to, to just keep ripping balls in the air was, I mean, it's you, you can do it if you want, but a lot of them will be caught, you know. So, a lot of – I was trying to – I was still trying to do damage because I, I think that that's the way baseball is. You have to try to extra base hit, say score runs, you know. So, I'm still trying to shoot gaps. I'm still trying to do damage, but I'm not trying to hit the ball directly up, you know. And there are some times in, in Reno where it's like I can, I can change my sights a little bit. And if I hit a ball on a, a maximum angle, let's say – 30 degrees to center field, like it could be a home run, you know, and there were balls that I hit off the hitter's eye that in Roger Dean were probably, um, going to be out. So I think that just being conscious of those angles is important.
0: Do you consider yourself a power hitter? Uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I like that answer. because i you, yeah. you've asked guys that point blank too, when they put up the type of numbers you have guys, you wouldn't consider to be power hitters, like say Chad Pinder, uh, who I, I covered for a while and, and, you know, uh, it's it's just funny to see how and interesting to see how players perceive themselves when when you put up those types of numbers in a spot as a second baseman or wherever you're playing where people aren't expecting power from that position. But uh, why do you why do you consider yourself a power hitter?
2: Um, I think that it's just I've always tried to do damage. I've always been a hitter. That's just been who I've been, you mm-hmm. know. And I think that I think that it adds value to to be a uh, power hitting second baseman I think that a lot of the success I've had is because they kind of value what you do and also where you play you know so if you can if you can swing it like a, a corner outfielder a little bit and stay, still play in the middle and then have the option to maybe play other positions I think that that's that's pretty valuable so I think that like I want to be looked at as a power hitter I want to be looked at as an offensive um, player you know that can still play defense in the middle of the field if I have to so it's just it's um, I think I don't know I just feel like I've always been that guy so
0: but uh, you know it's funny I bring up Chad Pinder and it just literally now resonated with me that you're kind of similar in, in terms of the, the makeup where you're playing and when when I covered Chad in Stockton he was playing in the middle of the infield and he could always hit they just didn't know that where they were going to play him and as Chad went up to the the big leagues you know he he was open to playing pretty much anywhere they wanted him to play yeah. that's maybe kind of a a an issue with you or is that they they don't know where they're going to play you per se in in the big leagues, but are you open to playing anywhere on the diamond that they want you?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. I would play outfield, infield, catcher, not pitch if they want me to, you know, anything (laughs) to get me there.
0: (laughs) Um, Speaking of when, when do you hope to make that, that jump? And and what do you think it's going to take for you to, to get to the next level? I mean, you're right on the precipice, but is there something in your mind that you could do to push you over the edge?
2: Um, so this, this year is for the, when this year is, I mean, it's, we're going to have to see the, the PA and the MLB, how sure. they, how they argue this out. But uh, I mean, if, if this was a normal year, I would have thought that this would have been the year I would have made the jump and to change. I mean, I think that I continue to just get better at everything that I try to do, but I had success in Reno. And I think that if I came back and continued to do what I did in Reno, and then just, I mean, the next year you go to a level, it's always going to be a little, a little bit easier. So I think that if I just continued to do what I was doing in Reno, I would um, get the call sooner than later, you know. Uh,
0: I'm hoping – we're all hoping that for you, Andy. Uh, And and thanks so much for joining us. But before I let you go, a little trivia. Do you – can you uh, name the most prominent big leaguer right now coming out of Indiana State? I have one in mind. There might be another one. but
2: Shamanaya probably. That's That's the one I had too. I was –
0: I was racking my brain before we came on. I was like, I know there's an Indiana State guy in the back of my mind, and it was obviously Manaya. So, yeah, yep. Yeah, doing, doing good things. And uh, we okay. hope you're doing good things soon, too. Uh, hang in there, man. And hopefully you get your crack soon. And, and hopefully we're all back soon. But we appreciate you hopping on. Yeah, thanks for having me. You got it, man. Aces infielder Andy Young will be back with more Aces Loaded podcast after this. Did you just look down at your phone? You did it again, didn't you? You know, you're flying down the road in a three-ton hunk of steel, and a text takes your eyes off the road for an average of five seconds. At 55 miles per hour, that's long enough to travel the length of a football field and cause some serious damage. Turn it off. Trust me. Whatever it is, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Back to close out the Aces Loaded podcast. want to thank Andy Young for joining us. Phenomenal season that that he had. Not only phenomenal season, but a phenomenal career to this point. And and we certainly hope that baseball comes back and that he can take that next step because he is, man, he's right on the brink. Uh, Also want to thank David Calvert, the outstanding photographer for the Reno Aces. The only one they've ever had. And so he's got all the the photographs going back to, to the inception, I would imagine and and talk about being not only a photographer, but a historian. Uh, David, I'd imagine that you can, you could pretty much put a photo to any memory that anybody might have at, at Greater Nevada Field, which is something only you in the universe can, can
1: say. Yeah, you know, I've missed some games, and I definitely remember the ones that I missed if something big happened. But, you know, just yesterday um, was the anniversary of Armando Galarraga's almost perfect game. Mm. And I'm like, you know what, he pitched for us in 2011. And I'm, pretty sure i photographed to start it turns out he pitched on july 3rd so it was our fourth of july weekend game and i found a couple of photos and i shared the athletic article about him and i i put one of the photos up there and it was just like you know it's it's cool to be able to go back and look at um look at the team's history like that and uh yeah i've definitely seen seen a lot of baseball games like 300 plus almost 400 baseball games
0: yeah, I can, I can only imagine. And uh, Armando Galarraga, also known as the Jim Joyce game, that was the, the blown call at first base when Armando was with the, the Detroit Tigers. Yep. Um, where can people go to check out some of your photos if they, if they need a baseball fix?
1: Yeah, so calvertphotography.com is my website. But honestly, um, uh, I'm a big Twitter guy. So if you want to see you know, me updating uh, with some, some unseen photos right now, give me a follow on Twitter. Um, it's Photo. Uh, C-A-L-V-E-R-T yeah um, just like the whiskey um, and then I'm on Instagram as well uh, I don't tend to share as much over there but um, lots of Aces baseball and uh, lots of baseball related tweets um, I'm always sharing articles from uh, some of my favorite baseball writers and, and photos from some of my favorite baseball photographers as well so if you want to see what I'm doing check, take a look at my Twitter account.
0: Hey man great stuff and thanks for co-hosting this, uh, this week and, and hopefully we get a chance to actually meet in person soon alright?
1: absolutely appreciate it thank you you got it man
0: for uh, david calvert thanks once again to andy young vince ruffino's our producer zach bayruti saying so long we'll see you next week back here on the aces loaded podcast